When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to this week's Football Digest with myself, Nick Keating. I'm joined this week again by Connor Bromley uh, as we take a look at some of the biggest tales from the transfer window as things stand. Again, we're recording this on Friday morning. Um, Connor, we've got you know enough to keep us busy to talk about for the next half an hour or so with uh, a Liverpool pair being linked with Saudi Arabia, Riyad Mahrez, another player being linked with the move there. there. Man United closing in on Andre Onana. But just quickly before we go any further this morning, uh, a topic that we've covered a few times uh, on this podcast over the past few weeks and something that, again, this is 11 o'clock that we're recording this on Friday morning, but within the next few hours or so, we are expecting Declan Rice to officially be an Arsenal player. Um, is he what they need? Is he going to be the man that, that, that kind of helps them? I don't know if close the gap to Manchester City is the right word because obviously they were close to challenges to them last year, but helped them overhaul Manchester City and get them to be in from titles contenders into title winners and trophy winners next season. I think it's a, it's a good move from Arsenal. It adds a player that is, a, I would say, I don't know if he's necessarily world like in that top sort of five to ten centre midfielders in the world yet, but by moving to Arsenal, he gives himself the chance to become that. And I, I think. It's a good move from them. We know that they needed help in that midfield. You look at towards the end of last season, and I know there was a lot made of Saliba's injury and that cost them defensively. But I actually think that midfield is where they lost a lot of the battles towards the end of last season. He's certainly an upgrade on Granit Xhaka. He's certainly an upgrade on Thomas Partey. Do they need another midfielder on top of that? I suppose that's a that's a question for Edu and Mikel Arteta. I think they probably do, but it's a good move. And, Yes, the fee's large, but you're talking about a player that's probably going to be anchoring that midfield for Arsenal for the next eight to ten years. So, you know, it, I'm sure when they reflect on this in ten years' time, and, and he's he's probably done very well for them, they'll look at it at ten million pounds a season. It's probably definitely been worth it. So, I think it's it's a good move all around. It's a perfect move for Rice as well. It, he's he's getting a move to a big club, but he, he's not going to get lost in the shuffle. You look at. Calvin Phillips, who went to Man City last summer, he went there and he was immediately lost in the shuffle, got an injury, and, and he probably won't ever find his way into that Man City team. I know they're different players. Declan Rice is obviously a better player than Calvin Phillips, but Declan Rice, had he moved to Man City, he would have had players to really, really fight with to get that starting spot. Whereas at Arsenal, he should go in there straight away. You know, and had Martin Odegaard not been given the captaincy, 
I think Declan Rice probably would have been a shoe in to be the captain of Arsenal within the next year. He probably won't be because all the guards there, but he'll definitely be a leader at Arsenal. So it's, it's a good move all around. I'm just glad that it's finally wrapped up and he can start, you know, training with Arsenal in pre-season and get himself ready for the, the new season. Sticking with midfielders, but moving on to Liverpool now instead. Um, uh, a story that's on the back page of the Mirror and the Star that uh, Saudi Arabian clubs uh, are now looking at Fabinho as well as Jordan Henderson, who has been linked for most of the week with a move to Saudi Arabia and is, is reportedly considering a very, very large lucrative offer uh, from Steven Gerrard's Al-Ittafak uh, to, to go and join his former midfield partner there. He's now obviously the manager of that club. Um, for Liverpool, I would probably say losing one of Jordan Henderson and Fabinho in this window would be a blow. To lose both would almost be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's. I can see them losing one of them because we know that Liverpool need to change their midfield around. I actually thought the more logical player was possibly Thiago um, to move. Fabinho's still 29, I think. You know, he's still got years in him. He's had a poor season this past year, but uh, I don't think that that's necessarily him now. I think he can bounce back. Jordan Henderson is... Uh, Jordan Henderson is Liverpool's heartbeat in a lot of ways and, and to lose him would be a blow for Liverpool, especially as well. You've seen him come back in the preseason. He looks in very good shape. I don't think that the criticisms of him at times have been fair. I mean, he's been criticised since he's moved to Liverpool as being not good enough and, you know, not suitable to anger one of the best teams in the world. Well, you know, he is a Champions League winning captain, Premier League winning captain, he's done all them things. I think the criticism of him as a player has been overblown. So to lose both of them, unless Liverpool have got two central midfielders, you know, that they're waiting to sign and and to come in and replace them, I think it's a it's, it's interesting when we know that they need to recruit in that area to lose players within that area at I just, it doesn't make sense to me to lose both of them. But if the money's good, you know, if they're getting off at decent money, I know that there's a little bit of who are about the FIFA. Jordan Henderson isn't there. I think Liverpool won £10 million and yeah, the Saudi Arabian club, El Atifak, Etifak, I'll do my Paul Mason impression trying to pronounce something there. They want him for free. So maybe that move won't happen. But I think it's it's interesting from Liverpool's perspective to, you know, halfway through July to lose two central midfielders and not have obvious replacements waiting. Well, that was that was the next uh, point that I was going to come on to in terms of Liverpool then, if they were to lose both, I suppose it means that they do have to go back into the transfer market. They have been linked with Southampton's Romeo Lavia and for all the talent and potential that he's showing, and I think everyone uh, is of the same opinion that he looks like a real talent. He just doesn't have that experience necessarily to be able to go straight into that Liverpool team to perform the role that Fabinho or Henderson has done. So, you know, Lavia would be a good sign and would help pack out that midfield. But you suspect that the other midfielder, if they had to go back into the market, if both Henderson and, and Fabinho were to move on, that other midfielder has to be someone a lot more experienced than Romeo and Lavia is. Yeah, because you look at that Liverpool midfield right now and if, if we're saying that Fabinho and Jordan Henderson are, are likely to leave... You've got Harvey Elliott, who's young. You've got Curtis Jones, who's young. You've got Stefan Bashatik, who's young and came in towards the, the end of last season. And, and McAllister, he's more of an attacking player. Shaboshlai, again, he's more of an attacking player. So you're looking for that sort of defensive or the box-to-box side of things. And 
and you're right, Liverpool don't have an experienced player there really if they were to lose both Henderson and Fabinho. So I do think they need to sign somebody who's maybe in that 27 to 30 mould who's played games in Europe and has, you know, strong experience. You look at like when Man United bought Casemiro in last summer, that kind of player who, who's been there, seen it, done it. I think Liverpool would need to add a player like that, which is why... For me, it made sense to keep Jordan Henderson, in particular Jordan Henderson, around the place because he's a leader, he's somebody who can help them young players grow and he's probably likely to be happy being uh, not necessarily an impact player, but I think he would be comfortable not starting every game. You know, I think he's already kind of became that player anyway over the last year. And I think to lose him... You know, it'd be difficult to replace, difficult to find somebody with his unique skill set on and off the pitch. Just looking a little bit more at Henderson uh, in depth now of those two players that have been linked with moves to Saudi Arabia. I'd go as far as to say, and, and you're probably going to agree with me on this point, that if he does move there, move to Aleti Fak and join Stephen Gerrard out in Saudi Arabia, that Jordan Henderson is effectively, he is still an active England player. He hasn't retired yet, hasn't announced his international retirement but he may as well do that if he moves to Saudi Arabia. I would agree. I think from his perspective, look, I know it's a, a life-changing amount of money, but I mean, how is it life-changing? <laughs> how much money has Jordan Henderson earned so far? Like, eh. I know that money's money, but he's a very well-off person. You know, he's been earning, I would imagine, at least £100,000 a year for the last 10 years. You would think that money wouldn't necessarily be the be-all and end-all, not only that, he's, you know, a big ambassador of the LGBT community. I don't want to get too far into Saudi Arabia and, and their reputation, but it would be a bit of a slap in the face in terms of what he represents for him to go over there and take the money. In terms of sports washing, I can see why Saudi Arabia want him because he's got such a clean reputation. He's so good with charities. And they would look at him as being, well, you know, Jordan Henderson's coming to play here, which shows that, you know, we are all the things that we promised to be. But I think it is a it's a slap in the face, I would say, to a lot of people if he was to make that move. I know Liverpool's uh, LGBT supporters group have come out and spoken against it. And professionally as well, I thought that Jordan Henderson was a player that, you know, he was he's all about passion and he's been so loyal to Liverpool. And he's so proud to be an England player. He does all them things. And this move would effectively put him into not early retirement because obviously he's still going to be playing. But in terms of what he represents, he would just be walking away from all of that. It, it doesn't sit well with me. And I think most people, it doesn't sit well with either because he's just not the type of player you would expect to make this move for money because he seems so competitive and he seems to have such desire when he's on the pitch. I mean, I know people question his quality, but in terms of he's, you know, box to box, he's running, he's competitiveness, all of that doesn't come into question. And this move is a slap into the face, I think, of his, you know, reputation, not only as a player, but also as a person. I was going to ask you a little bit more about that as well, about, you know, how would that, change Henderson for you in, in your standing you know not giving away any trade secrets here you are a Sunderland fan Jordan Henderson came through the academy there we've spoken you know previously about how you would have loved to see Henderson at the end of his career come back to Sunderland you know play a manager role which joked about at times as well 
but he still has a, a, a strong place in your heart at least. You still enjoy watching Henderson, watching him flourish, having watched him come through uh, the, the the academy at Sunderland, you know, blossom as a young talent and then go on to, to great things with Liverpool and become uh, amazing in the England side as well. But for you as a Sunderland fan, what would you make of, of this move of, of Henderson going? I think you touched on it a little bit in that last answer about kind of how passionately you feel about it, but but just a little bit more in depth about how it makes you feel as a Sunderland fan watching someone who you, you know, would I, would I say idolised as a, as a youngster, you know, a player that you really enjoyed watching um, and, you know, kind of, as I said there, you know, still still have a soft spot for, um, you know, going over and, and making this perhaps controversial move? I think as a Sunderland fan, you know, I would defend him as much as I defend Jordan Pickford. When they come through the academy, I mean, even players like John Egan, who was at Sheffield United, you always want them to do well because the players that come through your academy that have got your stamp on them and while not every player can stay, especially when you're Sunderland and a player like Jordan Henderson comes through, you're never going to keep that player because he's so good. So you do watch him and you, you, you know, you cheer him on. And I can't say that you don't have a smile on your face when you see him lifting the Champions League or he's captain in England as he has done in the past. But to see him make this move, it is disappointing because not only that, you've also got the fact that he's still somebody who he goes to Sunderland games, you know, he's been pictured at cup finals and whatnot. I think he came into the League Cup Cup final and was dressed in a disguise so that people couldn't see he was there. Clearly somebody who's still passionate about Sunderland. And you look at Newcastle being owned by, you know, essentially Saudi Arabia. I know that technically there's a difference, but we all know that it's Saudi Arabia. And the fact that they are, you know, in the sp- the sports washing realm, that's basically what it is, that they're spending massive amounts of money to to change the reputation of Saudi Arabia. And you would think Jordan Henderson would be well attuned to that because I imagine his family are still based up here, he's still a family based up here. So he will know the sort of tensions that are in the Northeast about the fact that Newcastle are owned by PIF. And there is debate even amongst Newcastle fans about that as well and, and whether or not it's right so for him to, as a somebody from the Northeast who is from Sunderland, who came through the Sunderland Academy, who has also done so much for charity, has been such a positive influence on the England team in particular as well and all the good things that they've done, the fact he's such a big ambassador of the LGBT community, the fact that it, he has represented all those positive things and then he's going to sort of trade it in for money even though it's a mad amount of money, to trade that all in for money, it's a giant slap on the face of so many people. And I think it's different. I don't necessarily mind players who go for the money if they haven't put themselves out there in the way that he has. If he just sort of sat silently and hadn't represented all these people and all these charities, then I wouldn't necessarily have as much of a problem with it. But it's just the fact that it's hypocritical for him to have represented you know, those communities and then just make this move. It just doesn't sit right with me. And I think that's a lot of what I see on social media about this move is, is of all players, Jordan Henderson isn't the right person to be making this move. And hopefully, you know, he maybe sees the backlash and and decides against it. I mean, professionally, he still has lots to offer as a player. You're telling me that an Aston Villa or a Brighton wouldn't want a player like Jordan Henderson in that team? I think they absolutely would. So, He's still got plenty to offer for Premier League teams. 
and that's you know that's the professional side of it. I think he has lots to offer. I mean, he's still part of the England squad. I think he could make the Euros team next summer. It just doesn't sit with me that this is the the right move for him. Moving on to another player uh, who has been linked uh, with a move to Saudi Arabia, though aside from Jordan Henderson um, and, and Fabinho, Riyad Mahrez um, at Manchester City. And the story in the uh, in the Mirror today uh, and on the back page of Daily Star 2, uh, saying that Pep Guardiola uh, will hold talks with the player uh, about a potential move. But I just wonder what those talks would focus on because I'm sure Manchester City would get a, a nice fee for Mahrez. He was a player that, that wasn't, a mainstay in that side last season that won the treble. He was he was in and out the side, you know, kind of couldn't nail down a first team spot. To me, it makes sense. I, I don't know if Pep Guardiola is having those talks to try to convince him to stay. I'd be surprised if it was the case. And he's probably more likely sounding him out about how much he wants this move to Saudi Arabia, I suppose. Yeah, because Mahrez has became a fringe player, hasn't he? I mean, he was such a big player for Man City for so many years since he's moved from Leicester. But last season, it definitely felt like uh, he was not in the same breath as you know players like Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Erling Haaland, and Rodri. He used to be in that that group of players of being so important to Man City, but it feels like he's been replaced maybe by Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish last year really took the step forward, didn't he, when he moved to and um, started playing more regularly for Man City, and it feels like Morris has kind of been the victim of that. So it wouldn't shock me if Morris was looking for a move. I mean. He's, you know, he's he's probably got a few more top years left in him as well. And he might just be wanting a fresh challenge. He's done everything he could possibly do at Man City. Um, Saudi Arabia, if if that's the link, that's the link. I mean, that's probably where he's going to make the most money. As we were talking about with, you know, Jordan Henderson before, and they are offering crazy amounts of money. So I, I would imagine that Pep's probably saying to him, you know, you can stay, but you're going to be a fringe player, you're going to be on the bench, you're going to be somebody who will look to make an impact in the last 15, 20 minutes of games when we're drawing 1-1. I don't see Riyad Mahrez becoming a regular starter again at Man City in the near future, not with the players that they have at the minute. In terms of squad depth though, we've touched on the fact that Mahrez wasn't a first teamer last season, wasn't a regular first teamer. Um, so you're not looking to, to try and find a, a place in that starting eleven for a new player. But in terms of squad depth, would Manchester City need to go into the market if Morris were to leave to, to go and sign a new winger? You know, yes, they still have players like Jack Grealish, Bernardo Silva, but again, Bernardo's been linked. One, another player that's been linked with Saudi Arabia or potentially other moves as well. Uh, Bernardo's been linked, you know, Julian Alvarez can play in that position, Phil Foden as well. But, you know, Alvarez can double up as a striker. Foden and Silva have both been playing as, as central midfielders at times as well in different positions uh, used by Pep Guardiola. So in terms of out and out wingers, Losing Mares maybe loses them a bit. You never know, Cole Palmer might kind of come through a bit more this season and start seeing him used in those areas. But you kind of suspect that from a squad depth point of view alone, if Mares were to, to leave this summer, Manchester City could probably do with dipping back into the transfer window and, and finding someone just to add a little bit more in that area. I think you're right. I think that if they were to lose Mares, they would have to add somebody. I think if I was Pep Guardiola, I'd probably be looking at bringing in maybe a player that a bit like Julian Alvarez last summer, like they had Haaland, who's the striker, but they needed somebody to support him. 
who was going to be happy maybe just starting 15 games and coming off the bench quite a lot. And I think that would be the player that they'd need. I think it makes sense for that to be a younger player. And I think if Mares was essentially that player last year, wasn't he? I don't know how many games he started, but it felt to me like the big games, Mares wasn't starting. You know, he was often coming on off the bench or, or not getting on at all. So they need a player to take that role. And and the likelihood is, is that would be a younger player who, who will be happy being slowly introduced to the team and not a player who's established and wants regular game time. So I think it wouldn't surprise me if City tried to go out there and sign maybe a player in that 20 to 22 bracket who they can blood in for the next year or two, maybe give them you know a lot of substitute appearances, appearances in the Cups, the odd start here and there in league games. And then in a year or two's time that they're playing regular football I mean I can't think of a name off the top of my head but I suppose I'm not a, a scout at Man City so it's not my job yeah technical directors definitely have that all, uh, all wrapped up for sure um, moving to the other side of Manchester now though uh, and again you know a reminder that we are recording this Friday morning but another deal that we're kind of expecting to be wrapped up imminently um, hopefully over the weekend before we come back to Monday's podcast so that we can talk about it being done by that point um, but Looks like they're closing in on Andre Onana as their new goalkeeper. Again, uh, a story that we've covered a few times on the podcast previously. Good work from Manchester United to get this over the line so quickly after uh, after letting David De Gea leave, I suppose. It was probably for want of a better term, the fact that they withdrew that verbal agreement on the contract. So obviously they didn't have a senior, I mean, they do have senior goalkeepers, but a senior goalkeeper of, of note, you know, I think they started that pre-season friendly win over Leeds in midweek with uh, with Tom Heaton in nets, didn't they? And Tom Heaton's been linked with a few clubs this summer as to moving on. So from Manchester United's point of view, they needed to get a goalkeeper in quickly and, and they've been able to do that. So I suppose credit to them there. Yeah, it's, it's it's you want to get a goalkeeper in as soon as possible. I mean, it's such an integral position now in terms of, playing football as well because goalkeepers are footballers now you know they're, they're certainly the top level ones all have to be very very good with their feet and that was one of the reasons why they had to move on from David Dea as well because he wasn't quite there the only thing I would say from Man United's perspective is they've probably ended up overpaying just because I think everyone knew that they needed a goalkeeper so they had no leverage in these negotiations you know I think Inter Milan Yes, they probably wanted the money in, but I, I also think that, you know, they only signed him last summer, so it wasn't going to be the end of the world if they had to keep him. So I think that's the only criticism that I would have is that it was so patently obvious that Manchester United needed a new goalkeeper that they may have ended up overpaying to get one in at this stage. I think, you know, maybe if they let this turn into a bit of a saga, they maybe could have saved themselves some money, but I think from their perspective, it was need to most. They felt it was worth maybe give it into Inter Milan's demand so that he could get Onana in now so that he can be part of pre-season training so he's ready for the start of the new campaign because as I say goalkeepers now you know they're not just shot stoppers they are such a big part of how a team plays and giving him a month before the season starts to get used to how Manchester United play to fit into the system I mean luckily he obviously already knows Eric Ten Hag so there'll not be issues there you would think um but it's good for Manchester United to get this this player in now so that they can hit the ground running come the start of the season. So we've spoken on this podcast before about areas of priority for Manchester United. Goalkeeper was one of those. They look like they're about to tip that off the list. Is the next one a striker? Now, of course, again, something that we mentioned a few times on this show previously about the fact that the budget that Manchester United have, it looks like 
a deal for Anana and of course Mason Mount joining uh, earlier in the summer, that's eaten into that budget significantly. So they probably need to move a few players on, start moving a few players out of the club um, to bring in finances to fund the move for a striker. But I suppose that's the next area for Manchester United now, isn't it? That they need someone who can be that out and out number nine, lead the line week in, week out, which is something that they've been crying out for, not just in the last year, but probably, you know, you kind of go back through history and what, probably since Romelu Lukaku left four years ago, I think they've not had that specific talismanic striker. I mean, we can even remember back in, you know, January of this year, going out and getting Vout Vegors, you know, January 2020, going out and getting Odio Nogalo on loan. That's, and, and those were loans, those are stock gaps and they still never had that that out from that striker. So the fact that they're still performing where they have done in those four years since Lukaku left um, is, a, is a minor miracle in itself. But that, that's what they need. I know obviously they did have Cristiano Ronaldo in that period as well, of course, but that didn't work out as, as well as they probably hoped when he, when he first came back. I know he had a decent first season back in the Premier League, but that, that's an area that they really need to address now, isn't it? Striker and up front. Yeah. You know, that it's obvious, isn't it? You know, you look at Manchester United last season, I know they got a lot of goals from Marcus Rashford um, and he is he's he's a left sided forward isn't he really he's not necessarily a through the middle striker I don't think that's necessarily where he wants to be but he's definitely a striker that plays off the left and it, and it suits him because he can cut inside and you know he's he's devastating you know playing there so for Manchester United, outside of that, that you just don't have anyone else you can really rely on. You know, I've talked about Anthony before on the show. I don't think he's been great. I mean, maybe he'll be better with the season behind him, but I don't look at him and think that he's going to help um, all that much. I think he got seven goals last season. Do I see him being anything more than 10 goals at a maximum? Not really. And Marshall, you know, my has had him for years now and, and he's not proven himself you know he's really struggled to establish himself but I think the problem is is that you look at how Chelsea have done their outgoings you know they were able to shift players out early doors and it feels to me like Man United have not been active enough in doing that and now teams have their targets in mind and and I think if you're looking at big money spends most teams have probably picked out who they're going to spend their big money on so you look at maybe a, a Scott McTominay who's been heavily linked with Newcastle in the past. Newcastle probably can't, you know, with FFP, they, they probably can't afford to buy him anymore. But if he was available last month before they went out and spent money, maybe they could have, you know, got a deal there. And I know Fred's been linked with a move. Um, but again, it, it's it's a case of now teams know that Manchester United need to sell because they know that Manchester United need a striker. So it's it's back to that leverage, you know. Do Manchester United have leverage in selling these players? Well, they probably don't. People know that Manchester United need to, to sell players, and they've been so slow in doing it. They they maybe don't have the leverage when it comes to negotiating for higher fees. We all know they need a striker. It would be criminal if they were to to go through to you know August and end up weaker up front by not replacing Falbecos who scored what, two goals for them. You know, it would be criminal for Manchester United though to somehow end up weaker even though they had a lone striker from a championship team last season and that could cost them, you know, in terms of I don't think they're going to be winning the title next season but if they were to bring in a striker who could, you know, come in and, and add sort of the 15, 20 goals they didn't have last season that would be a huge step for them in becoming 
title contenders. I mean, Harry Kane, for example, you know, if they were able to somehow bring Harry Kane in, and I know he's been, you know, linked heavily with Bayern Munich, but if, if Kane was the guy and they went, Joe, we're going to put more, more eggs in that basket, buy him in for 80, 90 million pounds, then there probably would be serious title contenders. I think you would be talking about them in that way, but I just don't see without them being able to sell players quite quickly. I mean, even if they were to start negotiations for selling players right now, it's probably going to be two, three weeks before all them deals are put through and they're going to have the money to buy in a striker. So it's going to end up being a, a late in the window kind of deal, isn't it? And no, that's, that's not really good enough for Manchester United. There's me praising them for their quick work in snapping up Andre and all this so quickly after uh, David De Gea departed. And now we're back to hammering them for being slow as per usual, normal service, very quickly resuming at Old Trafford by the looks of things. Um, Connor, just quickly before we go, a couple of uh, quick transfer lines that we're going to smash through. Um, Chelsea reportedly monitoring Neymar, uh, a deal that was muted last summer for a bit. But I suppose now with, with how Chelsea have approached subsequent transfer markets, it, it seems a bit out of step with what can be described as perhaps a youth policy. They're targeting good young players. Uh, and obviously Neymar now doesn't probably fall into that category of, of a young player anymore. Yeah, I think that's a, just nonsense, isn't it? Why would Chelsea go out and spend the wages that he would be on? I know Pochettino knows him from PSG, but it just wouldn't make sense. I mean, Neymar is so injury prone as well. I mean, when was the last time he was able to put together a, a full consistent season? I just don't see that happening. And I think Neymar's day as a top level player is over. And if Chelsea were to do that, I mean, they might sell some shirts, but I, I don't see anything more than that. He's just not at the level he was at five or six years ago. It's a non-starter for me. Maybe Saudi Arabia might be uh, Neymar's best bet of a, of a move if he fancies, as you said, they're done at the top level. Um, another line uh, coming out of Arsenal this morning, uh, apparently rejecting a bid worth around two and a half million euros, about £2.1 million pounds, uh, from Besiktas for Rob Holding. Uh, and I've got written on the running order just one word next to it. Why? Um, <laughs> I suppose it, the, the honest answer must be here that they want a bit more money for him, but they're on the verge of signing Yuri and Tim, but Declan Rice can play centre-half if they really, really get stretched. But you look at the other options that they've got in that squad already. Rob Holding, he's not going to be playing many games next year. And if someone comes along with money for a player who isn't going to be a regular in your first team and who, on his last few outings for Arsenal when he came into the squad when there was injuries last season, did poorly, um, had that shocker against Tottenham at the end of the uh, 21-22 campaign that that ultimately ended up costing Arsenal a place in that season's uh, top four. So when they come along with money for, for Rob Holding, you think that they'd bite anyone's hand off, but I suppose they're probably just holding out for a little bit more perhaps instead for him. I mean, when you wrote why, I was wondering, is it why from Pesiktas's end or why from Arsenal's end of rejecting? Um, look, I, I think Rob Holden, from the things I've seen him and even off like, you know, the Arsenal documentary, he seems like a top bloke. Um, I've always got a lot of time for somebody that spends a lot of their time walking their dog. You know, his Instagram feed is, is all about that. And, you know, I think he is a good character around Arsenal, but he's time at that club, surely. Up. I mean, he can't be happy with being a player that doesn't get minutes and then they have an emergency defensive crisis. This has happened two years in a row and he gets thrusted in on the biggest games of the season towards the end of the season after playing virtually no minutes during the campaign. I mean, he can't be happy with that because as you see, you know, he had that stinger against Tottenham. He had, he came in for that Liverpool game where Arsenal drew 2-2 and he wasn't at his best uh, last season. He can't be happy basically 
being made a mockery of because he's not getting minutes and he gets brought in for these games. He's clearly not match fit because he's not been playing regular football. I think Rob Holden's probably a decent player. And if Luton Town or you know Sheffield United went out and bought him and, and gave him regular minutes and, and let him show himself properly over a 30-year campaign, he'd probably be a decent, you know, I'm not saying a brilliant Premier League defender, but he'd probably be a decent Premier League defender. He just hasn't been given that chance by sitting at Arsenal for years and, and not getting regular minutes, not getting, you know, loan spells out. He probably could have benefited from when he was younger. And I think it's a shame he's one of them players that Arsenal in a lot of ways probably ruined, you know, by bringing him in and, you know, the age he was, bringing him in from Bolton and, and just not utilising him in the correct way and not helping his development. And it, it's a shame because I think there was a really good player in there at one point. Um, for Holden, I would just be going for regular football if I was him. You know, you want to look at your career at the end and say, I've played four or 500 games. And I think if he stays at Arsenal, you'll never ever make that amount of games. You probably get five or six starts next season if he was lucky in in the Carabao Cup. So I hope he gets a move because I think he deserves the chance to play regular football. Talking of uh, someone who loves walking his dogs there, I suppose we should be good boys as well and give everyone a treat by wrapping things up. Sorry for that rough ending oh, i should really stop now shouldn't i um but anyway <laughs> thanks to anyone uh for listening and, and pushing up with my dreadful dog puns there to finish uh, of course you can keep up to date with all the latest from the transfer window and beyond across the daily mirror daily star and daily express websites but for now it's goodbye